Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro into the $1.3 trillion business of sports. We are certainly on the record in keeping score with the biggest issues in sports, key to the beginning of the football season, college and pro, basketball and hockey right around the corner, baseball gearing up, international soccer, all events. This is a big week, and we have a different format change, at least for the football season. Kali Kazire, a graduate student at, at Florida State University, and I are teaming up with a segment we're calling the Weekly Numbers Game, three games to watch from the lens of the sports business, three college, three pro, every week, followed by the deal-making issues as we normally do three to one, followed by the interview this week, Lee Zeidman, the president of the Microsoft Theater, but also the president of LA Live and Crypto.com Arena, the epicenter of LA Entertainment, as we head into the next season after a very successful Super Bowl season in L.A. He'll talk about all of those issues. Then the Sports Gambling Minute, the Tech Minute, and the Good Sports Minute. We are packed with information, so let's get started. As we said, Callie Kazire put in a tremendous amount of work, and together we've come up with the top three weekly numbers game issues in college football and pro. So let's get started. On the college side, number one, Alabama and Texas. The Longhorns host powerhouse number one Alabama in a matchup that will include two of the most powerful brands in college football. Texas considered the most valuable brand in college football, according to the Wall Street Journal. Alabama coming in at number three. Texas brings in an annual revenue of $163 million. Alabama about $140 these two universities already hot spots for top recruits. NAL becoming a factor. Texas and Alabama will continue to prosper as their large markets will be enticing for prospects looking to maximize NIL deals. Uh, obviously, Quinn Ewers in the transfer portal from Ohio State ends up at Texas, and he signs a $1.4 million NIL deal despite only playing two snaps for the Buckeyes, and Texas will be looking to make a statement in this game that they won't be just a big market for the SEC to capitalize on, but also competing for championships. And only time will tell if Texas can become one of the best teams in the country it once was. Texas fans should be optimistic, but let's see what happens this week. On the business side, number two, number 20, Kentucky at Florida. After the epic showdown with number seven ranked Utah and the goal line stand to cap off a victory in Billy Napier's head coaching debut, Florida host conference rival Kentucky in what should be another great game in the boardroom and on the field. Past offseason, they hired Napier, a seven-year, $51 million contract, and they just opened their brand-new $85 million football facility, state-of-the-art compound for the Florida Gators. They believe it'll take recruiting to the next level for them. It's easy to see why it's a major investment. They have optimism to show that they're not just a basketball school, but a legitimate threat in football. And then number three, 14 Southern Cal against Stanford. USC made headlines this season, we know. Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, transfer portal, 
and the like, abruptly announcing they're leaving the Pac-12 UCLA to join the Big Ten in 2024. Rumors are that USC also bought Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma homes, bought a $6 million home in L.A. for him, a use of private jets for his family. Doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but it just goes to show what kind of arms race that college football has become and how lucrative it can be for all parties involved. Many questions arise for the Pac-12 in the near future. They're losing two of their most historic programs in USC and UCLA, and their 12-year, $3 billion deal with Fox and ESPN set to expire in 2024. USC and UCLA will become full members of the Big Ten in 2024. Due to the value of both teams, they have to wait up to six years to obtain full membership into the Big Ten. Stanford and the remaining Pac-12 teams surely exploring their options at college football continues to evolve at a rapid pace. So those are three games to watch, and not just on your television set, but from the boardroom perspective as well. How about the NFL? Well, the Broncos and the Seahawks, the first Monday night football matchup of the season, the several storylines. First, the Broncos and Seahawks, one of the biggest trades in NFL history, sending Russell Wilson to Denver for a myriad of players and picks. Denver recently signs Wilson on a five-year extension worth $245 million. Wilson made it clear his priorities to win in Denver and wants to win now. Along with the new superstar quarterback, it'll be the first regular season game for Denver under the new Walton Penner ownership group. Broncos were sold for a record setting $4.65 billion on August 9 after an almost 40-year run by the late Pat Bolin and his family. The Walton Penner ownership group will be by far the wealthiest ownership group in the NFL. Rob Walton, heir to the Walmart fortune, estimated to be worth nearly $60 billion. Let's see how the Broncos do. The Buccaneers and Cowboys, one of the most valuable franchises in all sports, the Cowboys, toast Tom Brady and the Bucks, 23rd NFL season, putting off the Fox broadcast deal. He signed for 10 years at $375 million. Dallas, for the 14th consecutive year, considered the most valuable franchise in all of sports and is estimated to be valued at around $8 billion, according to Forbes. This despite Dallas having won only three playoff games in the last 25 years. The matchup is the most uh, is the NFL's season opener uh, averaging uh, 26 million viewers last year and the most viewed opener since 2015, partially due to it becoming the first game back to normalcy after the pandemic. Let's see if last year measures up to this year. Finally, the Patriots and the Dolphins. Dolphins first home game at Hard Rock Stadium with new coach Mike McDaniel. Stephen Ross will not be present at Hard Rock on Sunday, suspended by the NFL and fined a million and a half dollars for the Brady-Payton issue. On the other side, the Patriots entering the 2022 season as the second most valuable franchise in the NFL under a $6.4 billion valuation with Patriot owner Robert Kraft. Unlike the Dallas Cowboys, whose value can be credited to their brand and rich history and not necessarily their recent success on the field, New England, exactly the opposite. This season will be an indicator of the trajectory of the Patriots and whether their dominance will continue even without uh, without Tom Brady 
and with Mac Jones. Well, those are three NFL and three college issues. Thanks to Callie Kazire. We'll have more of that each week. Now, let's talk about deal-making, as we always do. Deal-making issues, three to one. Three. University of Missouri debuts an automated food locker for fans to order ahead and skip concession lines. Unveiling that it knew at Farrat Field for the Mizzou Tigers. Alcohol available to purchase through an automated kiosk. The school placed 78 lockers and accompanying kiosks on the east and west courts, uh, concourses of the stadium. Bottom line is another opportunity to generate revenue for the school. Two. FIFA launches an NFT platform on algorithm run-up to the World Cup. This, this week and month, they'll feature memorable soccer moments, art, and imagery. Imagery, the World Cup taking place in Qatar in late November, unfolds with moments from marquee goals, global soccer tournaments, converted moments, and otherwise. And the NFTs, blockchain tokens that are now applied to World Cup, not only the history of it, but this World Cup as well. The NFT platform gives FIFA Live and FIFA Plus, the organization's platform for live soccer games, news, and original content. One. Finally, number one. Crypto.com ditches a $495 million sponsorship deal with Champions League Soccer. It was reportedly going to run for five seasons and would have cost the crypto exchange roughly about 100 million euros per season, or 99 million a year, making the new, now lost overall deal about $495 million. While the Crypto.com deal has dissolved, UEFA has plenty of other existing sponsors, according to his website, the active deals, Lay's, Heineken, MasterCard, FedEx, Sony Playstations. And since buying the name of Crypto.com Arena in L.A. for $700 million, much memed fortune favors the brave advertisement of Matt Damon last year, the marketing department at the Crypto Exchange has certainly kept busy. And that leads us to a very significant interview with the guy who runs the facility whose name is now Crypto.com Arena. Remember, it used to be Staples, the Clippers, the Kings, the Lakers. Um, Lee Zeidman, a veteran in the industry for a number of years, walked us through the building, also the Microsoft uh, Arena facility that he has under his purview, and LA Live one of the biggest L.A. entertainment centers that exists in that city. He has a lot to tell us about the past and the future of entertainment in L.A., the Crypto.com sponsorship, and more to come. Here's Lee Seidman. Talk a little bit about AEG, what they do, and, 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 and this building and how it all fits together governmentally. Well, I think, I, I think before that, you need to go back to the days at the Forum. And I was at the Forum, Great Western Forum, then back to the Forum. And uh, we bought the Los Angeles Kings. Phil Anschutz and Ed Roski bought the Los Angeles Kings. That was the first foyer into this. Ed Roski was the prime developer. I always thought that the arena would be built by either Dr. Jerry Buss or at that time, Bruce McNall. 
didn't happen for various reasons. I thought it would be built on the forum property. Didn't happen there. And then uh, Tim Laiwiki was hired as president of the Kings. And the dynamics switched a little bit where Phil took a little bit more active role in the uh, construction, design, and development of the arena. The site was chosen here in downtown Los Angeles. I'd lived in downtown. I'd lived in uh, Southern California at that time for 35 years and never came downtown. So it was quite a shock that we were actually going to be building something. And I recall coming down here for the first few meetings because I was Jeannie Buss's representative on the new arena committee as part of my uh, working at the forum with Jeannie. And I, you know, one way streets, I didn't know how to get the hell in and around downtown. So from that, you know, the deal was cemented that we were going to build at that point Staples Center here. And further along on the books, we were going to do LA Live. So AEG was born through the success of Staples Center and it was never guaranteed that we were going to be accessible. And you could probably, some people could argue that this revitalized downtown Los Angeles. I believe it did. The pandemic, we're, in, we're, we're doing this and we're not sure when it's over, but we also understand that we've gone through a hell of a two and a half years. Uh, when it is over, what's the biggest lesson you um, and the industry and your perspective on it have learned from the pandemic? You know, I'm not sure that people have learned from the pandemic because if you look around now, you see people wearing masks, you see people not wearing masks. You go to a buffet, buffets are out. You know, you have to understand way back when we talked about even going to your grocery stores, wipe every surface down. We were wiping every surface down here. How did that pan out? You can walk through misters to kill the COVID on you as you go to your seats. We'll do drones in here to drop, you know, misting chemicals to kill everything. It's evolved, it's changed. What have we taken away? I think one of the things that we've taken away at this building is reinventing the fan experience, making it easier, making it quicker. My job is to get you it, to get you to buy a ticket, get you in the parking lot, get you into the arena safely and securely, get you to your merch stand, get you to your food and beverage stand, and get you into your seat. All the technology out there is at my disposal for those things. Once you get in this bowl, it's on the teams to entertain you and to game presentation through the play on the court or the uh, ice or the stage, it's all of them. So I've got to get you from A to B and they take you from B on. And you're the best at it. Let's go check it out and see what we can see as far as what this building is doing. Not a problem. And give me the numbers as far as concerts and, first of all, overall event days in, a, in the facility. Post-COVID, last year doesn't count. Uh, depending on playoffs, we will do anywhere from 240 to 250. Uh, industry leader, I mean, there are others, but this is... But you know what people don't understand is... From April 15th to pretty much end of June, you've got to hold all those dates yeah. because you don't know when the teams are going to be in the playoffs, when you're going to have home ice or home court. So you cannot book those and contractually, I cannot book those. The difference between this venue and say, Madison Square Garden for instance, he owns both those teams. Yeah. He can do whatever he wants to do. Right. Here I have four different leases and that all stipulate that if I don't supply those playoff dates, there is huge penalties, including breach of the leases. Well, so do you have in your own mind, uh, it's not a pecking order, but you have process and you know when to release dates and when don't. And I guess my point is it's a 
it's not an easy thing. It's a complicated issue, right? It's a very complicated issue when you start to put the schedule together. You know, because you know we're dealing with three or four different promoters. We're dealing with we're dealing with three leagues. We're dealing with four teams. And you know, there is a pecking order. You know, the Lakers were the first team in, so they get their priority. Then the Kings, and then the Clippers, and then the Sparks. And then in between, we have tentpole uh, events. You know, for instance, the Grammys, the Disney Feld shows that we know when are going to be here. Um, any dirt shows we're going to do. So those are all put in there as well. And then we go at it. In, in my 23 years doing this, have we ever submitted? The exact amount of dates? Hell no. There's no, no way we could do that. There's no way. That. But we had a great relationship with the NBA, right. the NHL, and all four tenants here to make sure we get them the best schedule we can. And so, conversion. Uh, what's the latest technology that'll give you the ability to convert from basketball to hockey, and how long does it take? Well, you know, we were one of the first out there way back in 1999, yeah. and it all it all stems from you don't want the dasher boards to have to be out and in the entire time and your retractables on each end it's like a puzzle you put together a puzzle i'll never forget six weeks before we opened up staples center back in 99 i brought everybody in by that i meant the dasher board suppliers the court the seating systems and i said how quickly do you think we're going to be able to do this conversion they said you'll be lucky to do it in four hours i said four hours i'm going to have at best two and a half hours to do it and we had one because we were 18 months shovel in the ground opening night yeah. we had one chance to practice and we did and then i will never ever forget the first time six weeks into the opening of this building that we did that conversion and people stood in their suites they never left in between games and they applauded when we were done it was on every major newspaper in la back at that time when newspapers were obviously big right. back in the 90s and it was phenomenal since then we've done over 230 of them and uh What's the best conversion crisis story? Do you have a conversion crisis story? No, I don't, which is good, because if I had conversion crisis stories, no, 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 I would, but listen, do I, do you, you know, in the beginning, you know, the biggest thing you're worried about, all right, the guys that just worked from 11 o'clock until four o'clock in the morning converting from that night's game to the first game, yeah. are they going to show up for the conversion for the second game? Yeah, right. Because if they don't show up, you know, get it done. Yeah. And so then people would say, well, what stresses you out most? I mean, you know, and, I, and then finally, after years of doing these, I said, listen, they are not going to play until we're done. So that's, that's what it's all about. But if you want to talk about a, a story, back in 2012, we did six playoff games in four days. And the NBA and the NHL both came to me and said, we got to do an NHL game before an NBA game. You're going to do an afternoon NHL game and an evening NBA game. And I said, Why? That, that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah. We have to, due to broadcast uh, rights okay. and due to the deals we said. Then I said, you realize in playoff season, hockey doesn't Never do right. a five minute yeah, and right. a shootout. It can go forever, yeah. you know? And so there's going to be a cutoff date, a cutoff time as it relates to when we're going to have to say, we can't do the event. And yeah. then we got to get a hold of 17,000, 18,000 people that are driving down here for that event. And they said, we're going to roll the dice with you guys. Luckily, the Kings got beat 3 nothing in Phoenix and the Clippers. And uh, I think they were playing San Antonio. Uh, that game went on. But it would have had a domino effect to the next three nights of playoff sure games because they would have had to move everything. That's a great story. Yeah. And it's consistent with the industry, oh. which you've been in for a long time. So let me ask you this. The one great building, state-of-the-art, award winner, if there was one thing in this building 
that you have the hindsight to be able to change, what is it? Oh, I would have changed. First of all, if you look up here, it's a sloping roof. So this south end is three quarters of an inch too high to classify us into being a high rise, which means our whole fire life safety system had to be redesigned and a tremendous amount of, we had 14,000 devices in here because we were classified as a high rise by the city of Los Angeles. I would have lowered that a little bit and then there was a couple finishes I would have changed on some of the concourses. But outside of that, you know, now that I look at this, we have 2,600 premier seats and during our renovation, we're gonna cut that to put in some more premium product. I wouldn't have built 2,600 premier or club seats. And if you recall, Dr. Buss yeah. with his Senate seats back in our forum days yeah. was the grandfather of those. Yeah. I would probably take that down. We've got 170 suites. Nobody builds an arena with 170 suites anymore. Yeah. Well, but outside of that, you know, people say, what makes this building so successful and iconic? I say the design, the systems that we picked to operate it, the men and women that we hired that bought into our uh, philosophy, and then one, less, one more thing, and that's have your prime tenant win three world championships the first three years of operations. That helps. And I challenge you to go look and do your research and find me one arena, one stadium in the modern era where the prime tenant in the first three years of operation won a championship. I don't think there is one. I can't think of any. and. You are, and I'm talking baseball, yeah, I got it. football, hockey, basketball. I don't think there is one. Yankee Stadium. No, they had a bad year. No. Nope, they no. didn't. No. Not the new Yankee Stadium. No, not the new now, Yankee. I don't know what happened way back and when in the Babe Ruth era, right. but a modern-day stadium, arena, I don't think there's one that their prime tenant won three world championships first three years of operation. Let's talk about one of the latest bits of awareness that's happened, and that's on the marketing side of AEG more than anything else, but it affects you. You see the crypto.com logo on the floor. Uh, $700 million is a lot of money, and that attracted international attention. Uh, that partnership represents a very significant risk and benefit by all parties, too. That, that, that uh, an earth-shattering uh, business deal, but, uh, how do you deal with it day to day? Are, are, are they good partners? Is it, a, is it a positive now over the last few months since it's been announced? Well, first of all, you, you left out one important factor. It's an over $700 million deal for a 23-year-old venue, yeah. which is unheard of. Right. You know, you look at SoFi, which was, I think, maybe $600 billion. You look at UBS in New York, which could be 400. Yeah. Climate Pledge up in Seattle, which yeah. could be in the 400s. The unheard of $713 million for a 23-year-old venue. And that's attributed to the teams that play here, the performers that play here, and the men and women that operate this building. Yeah. That said, changing this over to Crypto.com Arena um, after 23 years and not having the luxury of another venue that has maybe done it once or twice or three times, there's a lot of we, uh, excuse yeah. me, there's a lot no, of stuff right. we, you know, that we, we yeah. found, yeah. you know, because there, it's a million square feet. Yeah. So there's a tremendous amount of signage. Then we had to clue in all four teams on what we needed to do right. in terms of their court, in terms of other things that we were going to put here. And we're not done yet. And we need to sell crypto.com on how their vision is for all the outside uh, signage, which is not what they want as it relates to what Staples Center looked for. So that's going to completely change. Well. One more final question about that industry. If you'd have said 10 years ago that you would have had a significant financial partner being from the um, 
other side of the gaming industry, not even the gaming industry, but the gaming distribution industry, the, uh, the NFT uh, industry, the Bitcoin industry, crazy. Are you unheard of? Listen, I had to Google it and figure out what it all meant before I did anything. And they've been a great partner and they've helped educate us on what this is. But you know, you can go look and see what else they're buying. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of naming rights type things for sports teams and for other leagues and things of that nature. But you know what? You know, when when you think about it, they've been a great partner. They have not they have not muddied the water, in my opinion, on how we operate the building. They're looking for their signage. And then we start to take things when we get into our renovations on how we incorporate them and do some more forward thinking and use some of their technology in this building. Well, Lee gives us some really interesting perspective, especially with some of the news about Crypto.com. And it's very clear that the, the facility itself is on incredibly solid and creative financial footing. How about the Sports Tech Minute? Predictive analytics company N-Venue receives about a million bucks in strategic funding from EBCI Holding. It partnered with NBC Sports and debuted the modeling during the Oakland A's broadcast before gaining more widespread attention for its Apple partnership. The holding company established a gaming technology incubator with plans to invest more than $10 million in early-stage companies. More and more entrepreneurs continue to do that, and obviously this company leads the way. How about gambling? Really interesting issue this week, by the way. A Vegas feel, fans place first bets at the Kansas Star Casino. The ticket poised with a uh, photo op, FanDuel officials at the Kansas Star Casino last week. 30-year-old from Wichita named Chuck Bass placed the first in-person bet at the casino. She placed a $15 wager on the Kansas City Chiefs to win Super Bowl 57. Guess who that was? Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. That's not a bad bet, by the way. The odds on the bet were 10 to 1. Seventh state where FanDuel and Boyd, the parent company of the casino, have placed a sports betting room in the casino. Boyd is part owner of FanDuel. Expected a second surge of people when the NFL starts up next week. Obviously a big deal and just at the right time for them, quote, unquote, a Vegas feel. Finally, our Good Sports Minute. Longhorns announce a partnership with legendary Texas bootmaker Lucchesi. They will develop uh, a, an opportunity for not only activation, but they talk about a strong heritage in their team members, building on the character and craftsmanship of the legacy homemade boots, more to charity for them. Protests expected at the controversial live tournament teeing off not only around the world, but when the event comes to the championship in South Florida at the end of October. Houston Rockets tip off with their green throwback jerseys on October 19. More money for charity for them. FC Barcelona and Scotiabank renew their partnership agreement Scotia and Barca Foundation promoting different programs aimed at improving the lives of young people in underserved communities using sport as a tool for social inclusion. And then finally, TV deals are up for women's sports. The numbers very specifically up, bo- boosted by uh, Ser- Serena Williams 
day day one match at the U.S. Open, breaking all viewership records. But most important, sponsorship numbers key to TV are also going up, which is critical beyond anything you can imagine. And that is our packed show for the week. We'd like to thank uh, Kali Kazire for helping us put together our regular feature on NFL and college. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for putting the show together, all of us for participating in it, Lee Zeidman, who has been very insightful for giving us the interview that he gave us. And thank all of you for listening and watching. And join us next week when we continue to go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Haro. See you next time.